Congress has left town for the July 4th holiday, but before flying home, some raised the prospect of another opportunity for lawmakers to sit down with the president on the topic of infrastructure financing. House Transportation Committee Chairman Peter DeFazio explored the possibility in comments to the media before the break. Could the third time be the charm for groups hoping to see action on a transportation projects deal before the end of this year? No word yet on the presidential Twitter feed. So far, the only fireworks around this town are the ones being planned for the Capitol Mall Thursday night. This is Hard Facts. I'm Robert Johnson. The transportation funding debate has been like watching a tennis match. Each day, a new comment giving hope or dashing spirits. Dave Bauer is the president and CEO of the American Road and Transportation Builders Association. He says there's been more debate about the importance of transportation since the 2016 presidential campaign and believes progress, politics aside, has been the result. We have made substantial progress in the last couple of years on two fronts. First and foremost, through the annual appropriations process, Congress and President Trump have delivered an additional 10 to $12 billion in transportation infrastructure investment beyond what was promised in the last reauthorization of the highway and public transportation programs. And I think probably more, and this is the harder one to see, is the fact that the overall environment has dramatically changed to the point where you have Republicans and Democrats talking about actually growing investment and meeting transportation or trying to address the nation's transportation infrastructure challenges as opposed to the last 10 years of congressional focus, which has largely been on how do we preserve the status quo? And you know, so the combination of those two things is a marked difference from where we have been are we where we need to be? Absolutely not. But the situation has certainly improved and is reason for optimism. How much credit does the president get for raising this topic, for putting it on the front burner? Well, I think it's important to remember that both President Trump and well, then-candidate Trump and Secretary Clinton both made infrastructure investment a focal point of their presidential campaigns. Uh, We obviously know how that worked out. The area where the president really, I think, gets a lot of credit and should get a lot of credit is not only continuing to beat the infrastructure drum in his public statements and priorities of his administration, but he has created an environment where a lot of members of Congress who heretofore have not demonstrated the willingness to be champions for infrastructure spending could actually play that role. And the combination of those two things has really set the stage for what we hope will be a bipartisan endeavor. And frankly, we haven't seen that before. Democratic members of Congress have always been interested in increasing investment, but They have not found partners on the Republican side. And, you know, right now you have clearly Republicans because of the president's leadership who are talking about trying to meet Democrats partway there. And 
that is where I think he deserves a lot of our appreciation and credit for changing the overall environment. He has, as you've mentioned, put the topic into his State of the Union a couple of times now. Yep. But the Republicans on the Hill, a lot of them would love to support this were it not for the fear of having a primary uh, with an opponent who is far more conservative and doesn't want anything to do with a gas tax, the president could lend some cover there, and that really hasn't happened yet. Do you agree? We have a tendency in the infrastructure discussion to allow the cart to get in front of the horse. And, you know, what happens is that people begin talking about how you're going to pay for it before they begin talking about what they want to achieve. And, you know, that really doesn't happen in a whole lot of areas. I mean, think if you're going to go buy a house, if you're going to operate a business, you know, your focus is on the outcome. What is it that you want to do? Then you figure out the second piece, which is the money. And what's happened for too long is that the discussion has started and stopped with how do you pay for it? And I think that what the president has done and what members of the Democratic Party on Capitol Hill have done is start putting out Here's what we want to achieve. The president's trillion-dollar infrastructure package and the 75-page legislative blueprint that they unveiled in 2018, along with the plan put forward by the Democratic leadership, are all outcome-based. And none of them say, here's exactly the revenue piece. And that, I think, is a really meaningful evolution in this discussion. And certainly, you know, you're right that There are some Republicans who may be concerned about what the political costs of this are, but that's treating the situation as it's occurring in a vacuum with no benefits. And I I think what we can't afford to do is let this conversation be devoid of the benefits that we all know that are going to accrue if these folks do it the right way. Do you think the federal government ought to follow the lead of the states when they go asking for additional revenue by posting a list of projects they would build with the money? I would love for the federal government to be able to do that. And you're exactly right. When you look at the 30 states that have been successful in raising their gas taxes since 2013, every one of those campaigns has an explicit list of the outcomes that will accrue from that action. Here are the projects. Here's how your neighborhood is going to benefit. This bridge is going to get fixed. This transit route is going to be built. And because the federal highway and public transportation programs are federal aid, and what that means is that States are and local governments are provided resources and given the ability to determine how to use those resources in a manner that fits federal eligibility requirements. And that's done for a very important reason, and that is because the transportation challenges in Florida are very different than the challenges in North Dakota. And the structure enables those two governments to meet their own unique needs of their population and their states in a manner that fits those challenges. And, you know, it's really hard to do that if by saying, here are the projects you must spend 
and folks from Washington making that decision. And so there's a reason for it, but the downside is that absent reinstation of earmarks, which was something that we saw would be a pretty prominent piece of past Federal Highway and Transit bills here in the 1990s and early 2000s, there's really not a direct way for the members of Congress to say, here's exactly the projects that are going to result. One of the reasons why we have the American Road and Transportation Bill been producing annually maps that show how much each state relies on federal highway funds for their state highway and bridge capital expenditures. It's just one of the few ways where we can say and try to make the situation very tangible for people outside of Washington and to demonstrate how important the federal program is for those communities. And you know, we can do that in terms of percentages and total numbers, but because it's the states that make the decisions about how funds are spent, it's almost impossible to do that proactively with a project list. I suppose the donor donee issue also complicates that to some degree. That was a much bigger problem. When you had a program that was consistent with annual revenues that were being contributed right now because Congress has transferred $140 billion in general funds and budget gimmicks to the Highway Trust Fund since 2008, almost every state is a donee state. All states are getting back more than what they are contributing except for Texas. I think, I guess, the administration could call on the states to give their priorities. You know, if we had a $2 trillion nut to spend and it was allocated based on current formulas, what would you do with your share of that? You could probably pull a list together like that and and then use it to to drive it home. It would take a lot of work. Uh, The states would be making the decisions like they do now but the list would still be there, and maybe that would provide some cover. I don't know. Maybe we've just given an idea to the White House, do you think? Look, the key here is and the states have tapped into this, and what we're trying to do with that map and any other thing that we can utilize to deploy transparency is to make it real. Because right now, I think if you talk to the average American they would have very little knowledge about what they get out of federal highway investment. To an extent, you saw that you saw an improvement of that with the transportation funds from the economic stimulus bill in 2009, where the Department of Transportation would aggressively publicize which projects were built with Recovery Act funds. But for the core highway program, that just isn't the case. And I would argue, and we certainly continue to push to try to change this, that that's a big impediment because if you're going to ask people to pay for something, you better show them what they're getting for it. Right. They want to know what the shopping list is. Yeah. That just makes sense. And, and the states do that with their own initiatives to great success. I mean, I've been involved in some of those campaigns myself out in Arizona. When people know what they're getting, they're much more likely to say yes on Election Day. You're exactly right. And there are very few states that will come right out and say, as an example, if you are Georgia or South Carolina, have you seen those states say that we rely on federal highway funds for more than 70% of our highway construction budget? 
or if you're in the mountain states, which range between 70 and 92 percent. We get a lot of attention about the California gas tax increase that was enacted in 2017 and preserved in 2018, but they never once said during all of those campaigns, which we very aggressively supported, that federal funds constitute 69 percent of California's capital expenditures on highways and bridges. Those are examples of how important the federal program is. And to your point, nobody knows it. The states then, you would think, ought to be putting more pressure on their congressional delegations to come back here and get this done. Do you see that happening? It feels like it might not be happening to the extent it ought to be happening. We have partnered with State Department of Transportation, the National Governors Association, and they are very upfront about the importance of the federal role. And I think that a lot of times what's hard to get an appreciation for is that most of the communications between state governments and Capitol Hill go on with between the elected officials from those states. So not like North Dakota governor and State Department of Transportation take out public ads about the North Dakota congressional delegation should be working on. And yeah, those are usually behind the scenes communications. And I know that they're occurring. And you certainly see our partners at the American Association of State Highway and Transportation Officials appearing at virtually every congressional hearing on infrastructure and transportation and making the case that Portland Cement Association or ARPA or others would say it's almost identical to the themes that we would all hit. And I think the business community needs to be more aggressive in terms of talking about how much they rely on this. I think the construction industry needs to do a lot more continuing to make members of Congress aware that we expect them to deliver. And we have not done a very good job to this point of showing that there will be consequences for failure to act. And is that true for state governments? You bet. You say states start to really become concerned, particularly in 2014 and 15, when the U.S. Department of Transportation put out letters saying, unless the Highway Trust Fund gets some sort of remedial action, we're going to have to start rationing your payment or reimbursement. That wakes some people up, both in terms of state legislatures and on Capitol Hill. Of course, the big fear is the voter, and most people still think their roads are free, and they don't realize how much of the price they pay at the pump goes into the infrastructure. I know it hasn't been updated forever, but there's still a piece of that per gallon price that goes into that pot. The voters need to get on board, and they need to stick to their guns when it comes time to make decisions about who to elect. Uh, Even if the person on the ballot is somebody who said, let's raise the gas tax, they, they can't really have their cake and eat it too. That seems to be sort of the core problem here. I think you're right, and you make a good point. The important thing to understand is that we can't expect your average voter to lead on a solution. They're the ones who are going to respond to the argument about the benefits versus cost. And people, as we talked about before, have a tendency to focus on cost before thinking about benefits. And that's part of leadership. That's part of salesmanship. Certainly, when you look at any major legislative success at the federal level, be it 
the tax bill from 2017 or previous measures from the past administration, there was a huge public education effort that was underway about all of those initiatives. And when you think about all the public opinion polls, as an example, we did one with the American Public Transportation Association earlier this year that contrasted the less than 50% support that exists right now from respondents about federal investment in a southern border wall and showed that almost 90% of those same respondents felt like President Trump and the Democratic Congress should work together on infrastructure. The support for infrastructure, even though we may be divided as that poll demonstrates on a number of issues, support for infrastructure is deep, it is broad, and it, it just needs to be tapped by legislators and President Trump showing them here is how we're going to take action. And that really is a big shift because a few years ago, when you would ask a voter anywhere in the country what their top five or even top 10 issues were, transportation didn't even show up most of the time. No, and I I think that there are a lot of Republican elected officials, federal, state, and local, who were surprised at the vein that President Trump tapped from their voters in support for infrastructure. And, you know, I said earlier that President Trump gets a lot of credit for creating an environment where Republicans could talk about infrastructure. And maybe that because he's talking about it, but it also may be because he showed that their supporters support infrastructure when they didn't think that that was the case. And, you know, whichever one it is, I still like the outcome. There's a tendency to box the American people into certain themes and Infrastructure is one that oftentimes gets overlooked, but as I said a moment ago, it is everybody understands when they're stuck in traffic. Everybody understands when they read about a bridge falling down, and everybody understands when they look at airport delays and things like that. And to act like these are situations that don't have solutions is just irresponsible when we all know that with concerted action that improvements can be made. We've talked a lot about sort of the bigger picture here, but you have said and have been quoted as saying that the first step in all of this really is fixing the Highway Trust Fund. Talk about that and the prospects for getting uh, such a thing accomplished. The Highway Trust Fund is a federal accounting mechanism. In and of itself, it is not a solution. It is a way to assure that money gets from transportation users, gets invested in facilities. But because of the way the federal programs have been mismanaged for the past decade, we have a situation where when the current surface transportation bill expires at the end of 2020, the trust fund's revenue shortfall will be $18 billion a year. That means that Congress and the president will need to find $18 billion a year just to preserve existing levels of federal highway and public transportation investment. That's not a trillion dollars in investment. That's preserving the status quo. And long and the short of it is the trust fund's revenue shortfall is caused by the fact that at the federal level, unlike at the state, the gas tax has not been, which the gas tax provides approximately 90% of trust fund revenue, has not been adjusted since 1993. 
And, and so we all know that construction projects cost more today than they used to. We know that the federal government is investing more than they started in 1993. And the result is a situation where the revenues are way behind existing levels of investment. And everybody uh, who's listening to this podcast and who deals with cash flow on a daily basis understands that when you have an unsustainable underlying fiscal situation, it gets worse over time. That's what has happened. And it is not going to fix itself, and that's why the importance of having a trust fund solution as a foundation for any infrastructure package has to be our primary focus because when you have the largest federal infrastructure program, the federal highway program, that is teetering on the verge of insolvency from a year-to-year basis, it's really hard to think about a robust infrastructure package that fails to address that immediate challenge. So does the trust fund get fixed as part of the next reauthorization whenever that happens, or does that have to occur separately? Look, it can happen whenever they generate the revenues to support existing and increased investment. It can happen now in advance of a reauthorization bill. It can happen as part of an infrastructure package. It can happen, as I said, before you do an infrastructure. There's a lot of, we spent a lot of time trying to inject a trust fund revenue solution into the 2017 tax bill. Every revenue enhancement at the federal level over the past 30 years has occurred as part of broader tax and budget bills and not as part of infrastructure bills. That ship moved on and you know, we'll get on and we'll find a different vehicle. And uh, it, it, it doesn't have to be a linear situation, what it has to be is a situation with a definitive outcome. Before you took over as president and CEO of ArtVa earlier this year, you were the organization's point man on everything to do with Congress. That's correct. (laughs) Having spent all those years in the weeds, what do you see as the path to success here? What's, What's going to happen, do you think? Between now and the end of next year, is it just going to ultimately be an extension of the reauthorization past the presidential election into 21, or do you think something really has a shot at occurring before then? The one thing that you can definitively say about this environment over the past three years is that nobody has a functioning crystal ball. (laughs) There's been so many twists and turns. Uh, since the 2016 presidential election that I think it's almost a parlor game to try to make predictions. I think that what's important is that in this particular situation, with a definitive reauthorization of the Highway and Transit Program required, it's not a nice-to-have, it's a must-have by the end of fiscal year 2020 some point before then, Congress will have to do one of three things. They will have to do an extension, which is what you just talked about. They will have to do a full-fledged multi-year reauthorization, or they'll have to let the programs lapse. One of those three things occurs, and at least two of them require finding new resources. I don't know how somebody could argue that we're addressing the nation's infrastructure challenges for letting a $45 billion a year program get suspended, and that's only happened a couple of times. 
in the last 20 years. So I don't think that's a situation that anybody has to really worry about occurring, but it certainly is one of the branches of that tree of options that could happen. And, you know, I think the more likelihood is either a reauthorization or an extension. What's really interesting about the work that's going on on Capitol Hill right now is that the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee is working to advance in 2019 a multi-year reauthorization of the highway program. You just mentioned a lot of times these programs are extended, and over the past four cycles, not once has anybody ever tried up there to reauthorize a program early. And so it's noteworthy that just from the fact that Republicans and Democrats in the Senate are trying to move a highway and transit infrastructure bill in 2019 because of the current environment. Clearly, trying to do things just under the deadline hasn't really been successful in the past. And so I really like the fact that folks are trying to get more proactive and have an early start on this. Even if it doesn't occur in 2019, the fact that they've laid that groundwork makes the prospects of a reauthorization in 2020 before the deadline even greater. And they've done that since President uh, Trump took office, I think, with agriculture and maybe health appropriations. Uh, so it, it there is a precedent already in these last couple of years of working these bills early and getting them done. Uh, I suppose that's something to be thankful for, to look forward to maybe. Maybe it can happen a third time here. Nobody should overlook the progress that has occurred in the last three years. The 2015 highway bill authorized billion-dollar increases in highway investment for every year, and those have continued to be delivered through the annual appropriations process. Then on top of that, in 2018, Congress added an additional $2.5 billion in highway investment, and they followed that up in 2019 with an additional $3.3 billion. The House is currently working on a 2020 appropriations bill that would provide an additional $1.8 billion. These additional numbers are on top of the billion-dollar increase. So, you know, this is $6, 7000000000 billion and on top of billion, or the slated increases for the program. And by no means is this a trillion-dollar infrastructure package, but, you know, it also isn't a kick in the shin. And these type of investment increases are unlike any that we have seen since the two-year Recovery Act period. 29 and 2010. And so progress is being made. And the fact that these investments are being plussed up is further demonstration that Republicans and Democrats agree on infrastructure, that it's a priority. And despite whatever is showing up on CNN and Fox News and other places about everybody, you know, screaming at each other and walking out of meetings and things like that, all that noise does not change the fact that we are seeing meaningful increases in infrastructure investment and that there is a path to go even further as the year progresses. All good reasons to be optimistic. Dave Bauer from ARTBA, thanks for taking the time to give us another perspective on all that's happening here in Washington. My pleasure. Look forward to working with you all. 
Next week, Pamela Williams from the Build Strong Coalition explains the law known as the Disaster Reform Recovery Act and discusses plans to help communities become more resilient in the face of stronger and more frequent natural disasters. That's Wednesday, July 10th on Hard Facts, a podcast production of the Portland Cement Association. I'm Robert Johnson. I'll see you then.